Blog Talk Radio. If I ever do anything right, I want to be so good to this, this little life. If I ever wake in the night, I want to know I tried my best for this little Progressive Parenting Radio is a production of Progressive Parenting Network and GinaKirby.com. No material on this radio program should be considered medical advice. This is a listener-funded program. And now, your host, Gina Kirby. Being a parent is the hardest job you'll ever have. Progressive Parenting understands this and wants you to know that you are not alone. My name is Gina Kirby, and I am your humble host. I am not a parenting expert, but as a doula, a childbirth educator, Lilitia League International Breastfeeding Peer Counselor, and concerned parent of four children, I understand the difficulties involved with parenthood. So I'll be inviting doctors, nurses, family workers, authors, and experts from different fields to answer your parenting questions. Because this is a progressive talk show, we will broach topics and air opinions that you as a parent might not otherwise hear about through the mainstream media. The mission of progressive parenting is to inform, not to preach, to share, not advise, and to connect, not alienate. Progressive Parenting Radio is a listener-funded program. If you enjoy the information that we bring to you, please consider donating at ProgressiveParentingRadio.com. Progressive Parenting Radio has been broadcasting for nine years, bringing quality information to listeners like you. We would like to thank our listeners and our sponsors for supporting our mission to bring great information to great people. Many thanks to our sponsor, doulabook.com, the best doula website. I do that every time. The best doula website start here. Doulabook wants you to know that they are releasing Doulabook 3.0 very soon. Keep an eye out for what's coming up by going to doulabook.com. Also, Doulabook has just released a new doula listing service. Go to the Doulabook Facebook page to learn more. That's Doulabook, all one word. The number to call in today during the program is 347 850-1642. I'll be saying that again throughout the program. That number one more time is 347-850-1642. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please press 1 and it will alert our producer that you have something to say. I am so excited about my guest today. She is an award-winning science journalist, author, TV anchor, international educator, speaker, consultant, award-winning social entrepreneur. You might have seen Lou on Make Room for Baby on the Discovery Health Channel. Lou Hennessian has been an NBC network anchor on Real Life. Uh, You might know her as the host moderator on PBS's This Emotional Life program, Secure Attachment as the Foundation of Emotional Well-Being. She is also an author, a writer, a, a writer of Let the Baby Drive. She's also written Picnic on a Cloud, 
and The Garden, a parenting parable. She is also a parent educator, owner and CEO of uh, and founder of WISH, which is W-Y-S-H, an award-winning uh, studio, um, New Jersey educational workshops and events for women and children. Oh, my gosh. she just She's amazing. And I met Lou years ago when we both served on the board of directors for Attachment Parenting International. I have never had a conversation with her where I didn't learn something new. Thank you, Lou, so much for joining us today. Oh, thrilled to be with you, Gina. Always great to, to talk with you. We're going to have fun today. Yeah, we, we always do. I don't. I've, I've never not had fun with you, even though um, <laughs> even though the topic is like a little heavy, right? Um, where we're talking about parenting and in this world of technology, where we all have our phones and we're kind of tied to them, especially if we're uh, if we use it for work. Um, I'm sure you use your phone and your computer a lot in the work that you do uh, with all of the things that you do and. I know a lot of parents yep. do, and it can be yeah. really hard to get away from it. Yeah, but I think, I honestly think this is the most important topic other than, you know, world peace and poverty and <laughs> and, and climate change. To me, this is one of the central center stage topics that every person should be thinking about. And here's the catch, like, I really feel like to distill this into sort of a headline to kick us off, it's that we love our phones because, my goodness, we were alive just a little while ago when we didn't have all this. And we have instant access. We can connect somebody with an organ who's, you know, about to, uh, you know, lose their life. We can find an organ online. We can fund incredible projects. We can find talent and colleagues. Uh, We can find long-lost relatives. We can reunite biological parents with children who were given up for adoption. I mean, the list is endless. It's a phenomenal concept. And because we're all born for connection and we're so thirsty and hungry for friendship and community, it tickles us. It's like, whew, oh, my goodness, this is so much fun. Here's the catch. If it gets in the way of our relationships, then we have to view it as having a potentially destructive element. So in a way, it's not unlike our favorite food. It's not unlike chocolate. It's not unlike something that... that um, you know, we've come to know and love, uh, but that if we do it in excess, it can really harm us. So I think that, you know, to start with, we don't even have to debate whether technology is good or bad. It's great, but <laughs> we also know that our brains are not built for technology. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think we can delve deep today. And what I always love to do with parents is I never scare parents. I always want to sort of give them this information that makes them wide-eyed and then makes their hearts open wide and goes, oh, you mean I can do this, 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 and this, and I'll be okay? Yes. Like, let's empower people to mm-hmm. to be amazingly wise about how technology can connect them, not disconnect them. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, I, I read um, the article that you wrote, um, uh, Driving Lessons, it's uh, Ourselves or Ourselves, <laughs> Seven Tips yes. for Health and Phone Habits. <laughs> Yep. I started reading it, and it's um, it's difficult for me because I am addicted to my phone. And when I I read that like your brain like gets turned on when you think about your phone, um, 
it was really upsetting. And then I, I didn't like a part of me is like, don't read it. You're a bad mom. And I, I love that you said that, like, I'm, we're not here to like judge parents or scare you no. or anything. Oh my gosh. No. And so <laughs> let's just, for not. people who didn't read the piece. Yeah. It's called ourselves or ourselves. And one of the, the tips that I offered was, you know, just to give people a little, little information that they have done research on um, people who were asked to think about their phone or saw a picture of a phone and the same part of the brain lights up for love as lights up for the self. Now, mm. what that actually just really means is not that we're in love with our phones, but that we feel such an affinity for them. Because think of what it represents. The phone represents um, access to feedback. It represents some kind of connection. It represents uh, instant validation. It represents... Uh, entertainment it represents amusement and it and it also you said you're addicted to your phone that's not uh an exaggeration because the the pings and the texts and the ways in which our phones communicate with us unless they're on vibrate i mean that's a different type of of signal um but most people have their phones on some type of auditory cue where you know what type of notification has come in those notifications in any way that you can think of, whether it's a ring, a ping, a Donald Duck, whatever it is, activates dopamine in the brain. And dopamine mm-hmm. is a reward chemical. It's the same chemical that is released when you see a piece of chocolate cake. It's the same chemical that's released when you get a thrill, when you know, you're know you just about to... Um, you know, do something that you really will find exciting. So dopamine is that sort of like uh, woohoo chemical, okay? It's not a calming. It's not a calming chemical, and it's not really necessarily a love chemical. Love, the love hormone is oxytocin, which every everybody I'm sure has heard of on the call. You know, oxytocin is released when you're in love, when mothers look at their babies, when uh, during orgasm. I mean, it's when we laugh. Um, right. Dopamine is released when we're about to get a thrill. Now, the thing mm. is that dopamine is also involved in addiction. Yeah. So people who are on heroin and coke also release dopamine. Um, it's involved in those pathways. So that's where we start to get sober, like, ooh, what? Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me that again. So that's not to say that your cell phone is like heroin, but that there's a similar response in the brain which tells you okay this cell phone may be amazing it may be a technological you know phenomenal miracle that we've even got this in our lifetime and it's only going to become more and more and more brilliant in its ways that we use it in its in its incarnations but if there's an aspect to using them that takes us into the addiction pathways we have to be very very mindful and there are ways to be savvy about using our phones that actually can prevent brain cell loss, brain cell death, and then can prevent the type of, well, I'll, I'll just use the word that scientists use, detritus in the brain. We wow. actually can see now that there's debris and detritus in the brain when cells don't communicate well with each other. And that comes from you know, several different activities and practices that we have to be mindful of or we don't realize 10 years goes by and we're going, God, how come I can't think the way I did? Or why do Mm -hmm. I feel so lousy? Or, 
how come I can't enjoy this sunset? Or what happened to the last five years of my child's life? How come I don't remember how sweet he looked when he was, you know, sucking a mint and drawing his robot? Um, Mm. So we can talk about all that. And I've got some amazing tips of how to incorporate mindfulness into this crazy technological age that are super simple. Once you become sort of practiced at becoming more mindful, you see your phone mindfully and you realize, okay, so... There's a way I'm going to use this, just like there's a way I'm going to lose 10 pounds or there's a way I'm going to be fit. So it's just, it's it's almost like, um, let's call it cell fitness, cell phone fitness, you know, cell, self, it's a self fitness and a cell fitness. It's, it's the kind of way we protect ourselves. And, and there's a very, very real component to this, and that is that it affects our relationships with our kids. Um, it really and we does. can talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. I I will share um, with a lot of guilt and a little shame. Um, my daughter and I were hanging out. Um, we went to Target and we went to the bank. And she's my my twelve year old now. Can you believe Ava's twelve? Wow. And um, yeah, and so mature. And we were we were out and about. And my phone like pinged while I was driving. And we were at a red light. And I looked at it really quick. And I said, Oh, can you? text this lady back and just tell her blah 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 because you know i won't i won't text and drive but i'm paying attention to it while i'm driving and so she's she's like my secretary and she she sent it back and she said you know mom i know that you know you work from home and this is like a big part of what you do but when it's just me and you in the car and we're running errands can we just not have the phone and i was just like Okay. Yeah, like well, I didn't know right away. Though. Like in my mind, I'm like, well, this is how I make money. Like, don't you understand? Like, mommy doesn't go to work every day. Like, I, there was all these things I wanted to say, and I didn't right. say anything. That okay, right, we'll put it right. in my and, purse. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I mean, you know, you've known this for the last ten years of listening to me talk about these things. Is that our <laughs> children are there to hold up a mirror, and it's not Jeez. to guilt us. So, you know. um, being in the car used to be something we did. You know, there was nothing to distract us. It used to just be, hey, I'm driving a 2,000-pound vehicle right now. <laughs> One thing I want, I mean, this, you know, I'm writing a book called Reframe about changing the way we see things. Cause, so one of the reframes on this is, do you want Ava to grow up to be 27, 30, 35 years old texting in her car? No, no. No. So you need to model putting that phone in the glove compartment while you're running errands and showing her, okay, now that I'm in the parking lot, I just need to return this text, honey, mm. to show her that your value system on that is non-negotiable because mm. she'll, she's watching. Even though she sees you doing it and you, she's your secretary, she's still, she's still in, co- in collusion with you to mm-hmm. be distracted while driving. So maybe maybe in 10 years when she's 22 they will have devised, you know, a way to um you know, put that cell phone in such a way that we're not holding it anymore, but you're it's still split attention. You're still driving split attention. Um so, you know, I always I always try to reframe it. Like do I want my child to be 25 years old, 30 years old, having their breakfast, watching a video when the world is spinning around them in the kitchen? Do I want my child to be 40, married with a couple of kids, and all of them on their phones? Do I want... And, you know, we know that our phones have changed our lives in the last five years, ten years, but it is moving at warp speed. They're going to be designing and devising contact lenses, 
that mm. have the ability to look at the internet in your contact lenses. That's oh around the corner. That's not even that's not that's not the future in 3036. That's, that's 2017. Like yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's we joke my kids and I joke, you know, that they'll they'll be implanting things and you'll just the phone will ring and you'll smack your forehead. Hello. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> It, 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 we can't tell. <laughs> we don't know what technology is doing, but I'll tell you that it's not going to be this archaic. Oh, there's a phone in 10 years. Our kids mm-hmm. are going to have even more insidious access to technology. I mean, it's never going away. It's just going to become more and more and more and more incorporated into our into our bodies, into our lives. So I, I think one thing that will never go away is that we are born for connection. So if we can instill that in our relationships, if we can instill that with our kids, share that value system. So that have an honest talk like Ava, and you say to her, you know, I, I want to let you know something. You're so, you're so observant. You're so observant. I really love that you said that to me. I want to be honest with you. When I first heard you say it, I got my back up. That, that has nothing to do with you. That has to do with me. Because I realize, ew, there's a part of me that just doesn't even want to acknowledge that, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? But you're absolutely right. And in our family, you know, we value relationship among everything else. And you're absolutely right. There's another time to do that. I can wait 10 minutes. So I want to thank you. So then she goes in her own brain, oh, my goodness, my mother validated my 12-year-old suggestion. I wasn't ashamed for it. And I actually was part of changing my mother's behavior. How powerful am I? So she grows up to become somebody who can... Yeah, so she can say that to a boyfriend, a friend, a husband. You know what, honey? I just feel like I just am trying to talk with you, and would you mind putting your phone away while we talk? Uh You know, so... I guess we we just want to be able to use our phones in such a way that we protect our and preserve our bonds because the telecommunications industry, truth be told, doesn't care about our bonds. No. <laughs> they don't. So so they know it's addictive. And so do all the video game makers. Everyone, they know, they've studied, they work with scientists. They work with neuroscientists. Right. They They know how do we get users how come there's one billion people on Facebook the other day? I mean, people who are using Facebook are not using it to make money for Facebook. They're using it to share their lives with others and get some likes and validation and that mm-hmm. instant access of posting something and having 10 people share it and feeling um, a little bit like a hub, uh, you know, like a, like, a, like a spoke in a wheel of your own life. Um, is it ideal? Absolutely not. You know, there's so many studies that show that excessive use of, of social media leads to depression, especially when we're using it at night in the dark. Uh, doesn't let us sleep deeply and and tends to uh, activate the part of our brain that's sort of connected to um, the regions of depression. So I think we have to be careful of what it is. Just like if you got a blender and it had instructions, and it said, you know, never, never use this with such and such, or, you know, before you use this, please be careful of this. You know, you'd be mindful of it. But I think we open that shiny iPhone 6 or the Android, and we go, come to mama, and we forget, hey, these things come with (laughs) massive provisos. Like, teenagers now use their cells or social media seven hours a day. That's a third of their waking lives. And adults, 4.5 hours a day. And we used to read. 
You know, we used to reflect. We used to sit with a journal by the window. We used to go for a walk and actually notice. We used to watch a sunset, not the sunset through the screen that we were going to post with a filter. Um, we, didn't, we didn't curate our lives before. We're curating our lives now, which means yeah. there's a level of sadness and depression and loneliness because there's a gap between what people are posting and what they're actually feeling. Um, oh. So... So, yeah, I'd love to. And what so, about that, too? What about that for the parents um, who are, like, like you said, you we're curating, but then we're also, like, doing what we usually do in our real lives, which is, like, putting our best face forward, right? And, um, with like, we have, like, our Facebook life, and then we have our real real life. Yeah. And there's got to be something in there, too, that's also uh, maybe, maybe not the most healthy. Yesterday, Craig was asleep. He took a nap with the baby, and they were both asleep, and the kids were in school. And I pulled out a Vanity Fair I bought five months ago that I never had a chance to read. And I read, like, the first 95 pages just sitting by the window. And right. it was delicious. I have not it's, done that, Lou, in yeah. so long, and it felt so right. good. And you fed your brain. I mean, yeah. let's talk for a minute about brain, the brain food that we need. So. You know, we're born for connection. That means that the baby comes into the world. We all came to the world experience expectant, which means, you know, literally to put it in euphemistic terms, you know, colloquial terms, we're born saying, like, I'm ready to be loved. Like, every baby comes into the world expecting to be responded to. That's not cognitive, because obviously the baby's mind will be formed through relationship, but it is it is a physiological, neurobiological expectation that I'm wired to cry, to get your attention, to hug me, hold me, nurse me, um, be there for whatever the sensations I'm feeling that I can't make sense of. I'm going to turn to you. That's my biological imperative as I turn to you for comfort. So not everybody gets that. So, you know, we're also born for um, repair, so we have these ruptures. Hey, wait a minute. I, I, I'm crying here. Nobody's coming. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. You came. So, okay, now I can feel better again. How about a year later? You know, maybe mom is not feeling very well. Maybe mom's having a difficulty in her own life. Maybe mom is not as available emotionally. Now baby is making bids for reconnection. Mom notices we're wired as babies to go, Ah, good. I, 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 we're back. We're back in relationship. Now, what happens if that doesn't happen? What happens if that attachment isn't that safe haven? Well, you can't get mom's mom back on track. Mom is not um, a reliable source, or dad, or caregiver. So now that attachment quality becomes something else. And so we're also born to notice that. We're also born to make adjustments. So if that attachment quality is is frightening, if it's dismissive, if it is not reliable, if it is what they call disorganized, which is um, kind of the source of your fear, and then you can't turn to that parent for fear. We call it a biological paradox. The baby's brain is also born to adapt. That doesn't mean the baby's resilient. It means baby's brain is born to adapt. Baby's not going to go crazy, so baby makes adjustments. So that baby's brain is now going to make adjustments for this lack of reliable, trustworthy, safe haven figure. Hmm. And what that means is that um, even though we're born, you know, motivated to attach, if that attachment isn't optimal, then the brain goes through its 
necessary structural changes. So if it's a severely neglectful relationship, the baby's memory, uh, hippocampus and learning area shrinks. The front of the brain shrinks. Um, In severe cases of neglect, that front of the brain never really uh, comes back to what it can be, even though the brain is plastic where what we practice grows. Mm -hmm. So the reason I mention all that is that in a way, we can view our love affair with our phones as um, a little bit of a third party in the relationship where it's kind of getting in the way of the attachment. So my colleague and esteemed colleague, I think he's one of my mentors, um, Ed Tronick, who is in Massachusetts, who's been for 40, 50 years, he's been uh, studying, researching mother-infant behavior in his lab. He did a very famous experiment called Still Face, which people can find on YouTube. Just look up Still Face. He had moms come in with their one-year-olds. And behind glass, he would watch them. And he'd have this, it was one mother and one baby at a time. The mother would look at the baby and coo and respond. And the baby would giggle. And baby would make a big coo, ah. And the mom would go, ah. Baby would look to the left. Mom would look to the left. They were very attuned. Then at a certain point, uh, Tronic would ask the mother to look away and then resume her gaze to the baby, but this time with flat affect, absolutely zero affect. And if you, when you watch it, you notice that it takes, you know, a hundredth of a second for the baby to notice that the mother's face now has no expression. The baby's mm-hmm. eyebrow goes up. It's almost like the baby goes, whoa. Mm-hmm. And it, <laughs> we're born to detect. I mean, the brain is a pattern recognition machine. So, if you see, you know, dot, 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 check mark, you notice that check mark. It's just like it's almost like your whole system goes, what's that? Huh? So the mother's like, smile, 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 coo, and then nothing. And the baby, in one hundredth of a second, the baby goes, what? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And tries to get the mother's attention through various bids over the next six or seven seconds, pointing, um, making little cooing sounds, nothing. The mother is absolutely deadpan. And then the baby shrieks, ah, and the mother is deadpan, and the baby starts crying. The second the baby's in tears, she scoops her up and says, it's okay, I love you, and the baby's fine. So they, didn't, they don't want to damage children. Right, but right, right. the reason I'm saying this is think about how similar being with your baby in a car seat or a stroller, a baby who's nonverbal or a baby, a small toddler, you are with them at a juice bar, you're with them at the park, you're with your child at home, wherever, and you're on your phone and you're just scrolling innocently. You're like, I'm tired, I just want to see what's on Facebook. But oh you're a little God. like the still face. It's a little like the still face. Yeah, it is. Oh my God. Especially for babies. They don't know what are you looking at. They're not going mom's on her phone. Not a nine-month-old. There's just this strange vibe where you're not there. Now, that's not to make us guilty. It's to wake us up. Mm. Just to wake ah. us up. Because in that moment, we've got to understand that baby doesn't want us to coo for one hour. It's right. just five minutes. Five minutes of attunement fills that baby's cup. Then the baby's happy. Baby doesn't even, the baby will shoo you away after a few minutes because it's like, I got it, Mom. I got it. It's enough joy. I don't need any more right now. Yeah, the baby will. will be overstimulated with that joy. Okay, that's enough. So then you can go check your Facebook. It's, I guess what I'm asking all of us is to come back to attunement, 
just come back so that we can read the cues. Because when we read the cues, we not only know what our children need, we know what we need. And if you don't know your needs and you don't know your child's needs, this is the most profound disconnection of all. Mm. And it has massive, massive consequences. Ah, okay, Lou. That, <laughs> and I'd like to remind people who maybe just joined us <clears throat> and um, that we are not trying to make anybody feel bad. <laughs> no. And, and only that, um, I, I'm only bringing that up because I'm checking in with myself and I'm like, oh my God, how many times have I like, reached for my phone while I'm nursing Jack? Um, because he's nursing, and uh, for me, nursing him is has been very difficult from the very beginning. It's been uh, nine, about coming up on 19 months of, uh, he's just like the worst nurser ever. He, he pulls, and he tugs, and he bites, and he scratches, and it's um, very uncomfortable for me. So I find myself like reaching for my phone to like distract myself from it. And a number of times, he will like kick the phone out of my hand or push it, and then I'll go, oh, my God, what am I doing? And then I'll look at him and I'll love on him for a little bit. And then he's like, okay, that's enough of that. And he pushes my face away, <laughs> just like you said. Right. So all of this, like, everything that you're saying is totally true for me. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard to hear. And I just kind of no, like but want to so here, for my listeners. Here, and just I know. Say, like, I'm a big like- proponent. <laughs> I, get, I get it. I'm a huge proponent of don't look at what you've already done. Right. Just you are, this is where we bring mindfulness in, mm. you know, It's not what's already happened. It's, you know, the brain has something called predictive bias. Predictive bias is so important. And it's unbelievable that, you know, so many, most people walk around on this earth and they don't know what's going on in their brain. And yet their brain is is the headquarters. It's determining everything that's happening. But there's something in the brain called predictive bias. And that literally is a fancy name for your brain is just taking what's, happening in the present and it's making a little prediction for what's going to happen you know Mm. five minutes from now so it's essentially the answer of the question what's happening what's happening what's happening right the brain is always going what's happening what's happening right now what's going to happen in five minutes what's happening now so it's always assessing the moment right now to make a little bit of a predictive uh, sense of preparing you for the next five minutes, basically. So it's not mm-hmm. a predictor for the future. It's it's how we navigate through life. It's how you get to make dinner tonight. It's how you, but that tends to get weakened as we multitask, and it tends to get weakened as we're stressed, and it tends to get weakened as we, um, you know, as we lose sleep and you know lose movement and. It's actually one of the first things to go when people age and get Alzheimer's, which is now a very, very, very high and alarming percentage of people. Um, You know, what you want to be able to do in the moment when you're nursing Jack is ask yourself this hard question. Does he do all that painful behavior just you just described, which actually made me cover my breasts because it makes me feel so (laughs) uncomfortable. Does he do all that? Yeah. How is it chicken and egg? How can you separate his behavior from your behavior? In other words, how interconnected and intertwined and kind of entangled is his behavior on your breast with your behavior on the phone? It isn't, this isn't a you did this, therefore he did that. It's that right. to understand we're, we're always in delicate balance together. There's a dance all the time. So, mm-hmm. I, I I hear you that it's uncomfortable. So 
it's your private decision what you do to soothe your comfort. That's what you need, and it's important. But other than that, let's say another scenario is why is mindfulness important? Like, what does that have to do with anything? What does mindfulness yeah, have to do? Let's it's talk a, about mindfulness. Yeah, Please. it's a word everyone's talking about. It's in corporate world. It's, um, you know, the Dalai Lama's talking. Everybody's talking about mindfulness. What is it? John Kabat-Zinn defines it as expanding your awareness in the moment by paying attention on purpose without judgment. So I'll say it again. Expanding your awareness by being in the moment on purpose. So like you got your Vanity Fair magazine and you said, I'm going to sit here and read it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But if you were to have no magazine, let's say you went and sat in the chair, and you were just going to be in the moment, and you were going to pay attention to your thoughts, just as they popped up. But as they popped up, you were not going to judge them. So let's say right this moment, we were going to be mindful for 30 seconds. And we were just going to sit here in, you know, in relative silence. And you were just going to notice the fact that you're breathing. And that not that you have 12,000 more things to do today, because you'll get to them. <laughs> Um, And not what happened yesterday, but just to be here right now, like this very second, November 11th, and to notice your breath, to notice how your body is sitting, the position your body is in, to notice if there's any tension, and then thoughts pop up, and then to notice, just notice them, and not go, oh God, why why did I say that? Why do I always, why did I, it's to notice them without judgment, so it's hard, but the practice of it, a minute here, a minute there, three minutes here, three minutes there, is hugely important. And the benefits are many. Um, one benefit of mindfulness is that it instantly can calm our nervous system. Uh. So if you practice that, you actually can get through your day with so much more ease, grace, confidence, comfort, you know, a sense of a sense of empowerment, a sense of connectedness to yourself. Um, another thing is that it boosts your immune system. You know, mindfulness practice boosts immunity. Um, there's a whole connection between breathing and heart rate. When you're aware of your breath, regardless if, you've, if you're on your phone, you know, part of the reason we reach for our phone, I'm convinced of it in my own informal social research, is that as I talk with people, as I watch people, I notice and people tell me that they reach for their phone when they're restless. And that restlessness has a breathing pattern. So typically when breathing gets shallow, mm-hmm. um, when people are more sedentary, when there's la- lack or less oxygen to the brain, um, we reach for the phone. It is that nervous eating. It's emotional mm-hmm. eating. So if we yes. can reach the phone more mindfully, use it. Use the phone. I mean, I, I use it a lot every single day. Um, but I've become more mindful. I went through a patch. I know how it feels. I went through a period where I was, you know, mindless eating with my phone, where I, my phone became the snack, was a snack. And it was so unfulfilling. It was like eating a packaged thing from a vending machine. Do you know what I mean? In those moments. Yeah. So mindfulness is so important because when you come to notice your breath, um, 
even right here, even when you're working, this is an amazing thing to be mindful at work. You know, you're uh, a radio show host. When you're mindful of listening to a guest, you could even notice your own breathing. Mm. And as you notice the rhythm of your breathing, you develop this this heightened clarity and this heightened ability to listen and this heightened sense of sacredness of the moment. Um, and you you become so focused on the moment, uh, there's, um, there's a different quality to it. Um, what's amazing about mindfulness, too, that so many people just don't know of, especially so many parents just have, you know, this has not been sort of a mainstream headline for people, but it's massively important, is that research has been has come out in the last couple of years connecting being in the moment, being able to be present, and not all day long, but just to be able to come back to the moment, come back to the moment and, and cultivate presence to longevity. Why? Because at the end of our little caps of our chromosomes, we have these little, like almost like aglets on your shoelaces. And they have to be as intact as possible throughout your lifetime to keep you from getting sick and dying early. Um, and one way to preserve those caps is to be present. And this is amazing research that's come out showing that these are telomeres. They're called telomeres. And one thing that presence does is it promotes the enzyme telomerase. So it's crazy. Like you think, okay, so here's one fantastic advantage. Here's one amazing motivator for me to be mindful of when I'm on technology, how long I'm on it, what the purpose of it is, and just to make it a little goal-driven, like I'm going to give myself an hour now, I'm just going to surf Facebook, um, or i got to get some work done. I don't want to go beyond X number of hours be, without getting up, walking around, going for a run, whatever. Um, I don't want to be on technology at a certain time of night. You know, In other words, making some hygiene rules for yourself mm. based, on, you know, based on the science that says, gosh, you know, I've got to be just like I want to have my fruits and vegetables every day, I want to make sure that I cultivate presence. Presence has got to be part of my daily, my daily habit because we can't switch it on when we're 50. It's so much harder to switch it on when you're 60, 70. Yeah. You know, presence has to be something we, we inhabit as human beings um, as early as we can. And so this is my, my call, my clarion call uh, to parents is, Practicing presence gives your children a huge advantage because they're growing up as digital natives, to use Gary Small's term, and they will never know a life without digital technology. So they have to, we have to give them, um, we have to reflect to them a way of understanding that technology isn't who they are. Hmm. It's not a limb. And yet, you go to any high school campus, I have two teenagers, and I drop them off in the morning. All the teens are holding these, like the old cigarette packs of 25 years ago. Everybody has one in their hand. And that's mm. okay, but so many teens don't know about cultivating presence. So many adults don't know about cultivating presence. And and parenting in a, te- in a technological world is is particularly charged because here's the scary part. The the more we carry on in our day with a kind of a 
a, a, a cluttered mind, a mindless way of waking up, checking email, making breakfast, drinking coffee, getting to work, checking email on the subway or checking email at the traffic light, getting to work and doing all our thing or working from home and and not having a time of day when there's another routine. It's that in other words, it's become um it's become the first thing we do, the last thing we do, and everything we do in between. Mm. So when is our time for reflection? When do we connect with ourselves? If we're not only born for connection, but we're born to listen to what our body's telling us. And if there's an innate body wisdom that literally comes up through the 12th cranial nerve, you know, up the spine, lamina one, mm. up to the insula, telling the brain here, the, the pancreas are off or something's going on with the spleen, or we have a vagus nerve, you know, two two wandering nerves that come down from the base of the brain and touch on every organ, lungs, heart, and taking all the information back to headquarters. Hey, this is what's going on. But if we're not if not if we're not on on board with it, if we're not online with ourselves, you know, this is how people suddenly go, you know, God, I've been ignoring these symptoms for three years. Or right, how yeah. come I didn't how come I didn't realize I was anemic or how come I didn't know right. I had lupus or how come I didn't know I was pregnant? <laughs> right. Um, anyway, That's the so thing. these are some thoughts. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, um, my thoughts are what we've been trying to do in our house. It's like this whole, like you said, everybody's talking about mindfulness right now. And that's been a big thing for us where we go through days where we're really aware of being mindful. It's kind of like when you're really aware of being, of exercising or taking care of yourself. And then you like, you forget it. <laughs> And then you have like 10 days of mindlessness and you're like, why does my life suck so bad? Oh, wait, I haven't been mindful. And mm. um, and that's the thing I'm trying to like share with my daughter right now. And ironically, I guess, um, like today I sent her an email asking her, like, are you being mindful? Because she's, um, she's not in the same city we're in right now. She's visiting with my sister in Austin. And so I just kind of like had to send it to her on her phone to ask her. <laughs> This has been practicing being mindful. She's like, I'm mindfully texting you back. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, you know, I love that you're having those conversations with her. You know, my son, Nick, is, uh, and both my kids, they're very visual, even though they're yeah. both musicians, very auditory. But my son, Nick, has always been very visual. And when he was five, he'd stare out the window and we would drive on highways for long trips. And he would tell us, I'm doing a brain video. I'm doing a brain video. Can you guys put on this piece of music? Because I'm doing a brain. Don't nobody talk for three minutes, please. I'm doing a brain video. And we would say to him, "What do you? What does that mean?" He says, "I'm looking at all the trucks because he was so into trucks, and mm-hmm. I'm playing a movie of the trucks with the music." Now, that might seem like, "Oh, that's so cute and so funny," but it was it intrigued me yeah. because I realized, "Wow, why was he doing that?" Because he was got so carsick. He would tell us. My brain feels like it's puking blood, Mom. Mm. And I think to myself, oh, my goodness, could you give me, a like, a stronger metaphor? Right. But so why he said that to me, why was it so intriguing? Because I realized he was very visual. And for a kid who's visual, and there's millions of kids who are super visual, it is very hard to put that thing down because he, my son Nick literally, you know, we go through this every every few weeks. Every couple of months, there is a sort of a sit down with him. Honey, listen, I really noticed that you're on your phone a lot. And he'll say, you're, you know, you're right, Mom. I'm, I'm going to pull back. 
because what he does, he's into jazz. He's hugely into jazz and funk. He's a jazz drummer. And mm-hmm. I know he's up in the morning because I hear, the, I hear, you know, James Brown. I hear some sort of YouTube video with James Brown or Curtis Mayfield or, you know, and I hear it go from the bathroom. I hear the music go from the bathroom to the room to get the socks, to go to the sock bin downstairs. It's like James Brown is at, having breakfast with him. And mm. he he went through a period where where he just, it was, you know, the, the YouTube is 72 hours of video per minute uploaded per minute mm. a day. Every 60 seconds, there's three days of video uploaded every 60 seconds. So it's an endless thing. You never, never, ever, ever have any dearth of what to watch on YouTube. But it got to a point, because he's so visual, where one video led to another, led to another, led to another, led to another. And then, you know, he could literally watch 50 videos, um, maybe not fully, but just, okay, I've watched enough of this, I want the next one. I've watched enough of this, I want the next one. And... I had to stop him at one point and say, can you look at me? Look me in the eye. Look at me. I'm concerned that you're splitting your attention. And all this split attention isn't good for your brain. Mm. And you know what? I said to, I said to him, because we, we have a wonderful relationship. And I said to him, honey, I don't feel like it's you anymore. I don't feel like you're here. And he looked wow. at me. I dropped him off at school and he texted me, mom. I need to get back to my yoga. I need to get back to my meditation. I don't like mm-hmm. this version of myself. Wow. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm making a change right now. And he did, and he does. And every once in a while, you know, it it catches up again. And he and but the beauty of it is that he learns to self monitor. If we cannot berate our kids and don't berate ourselves, then we are teaching our kids that we're all of us are always just growing fumbling a bit, growing, learning from it, and you learn to self-monitor so you can modify. You learn to to self-monitor and say, gosh, you know, I, why do I feel like you just said? Why do we all feel like crap? And then you analyze it a bit. Hmm, we haven't been in nature. We haven't been outside. We haven't laughed in a long time. And you go, guys, Friday night, we're watching a movie. It's going to be, you know, detox, digital detox. We're doing a digital mm-hmm. detox this Sunday. No phones. And then you, your kids will be so excited, you know, mommy and daddy, everywhere. we're going to put our phones in a basket and no one's going to touch their phones all day. We're going to do fun things. And those are the things that, that kids learn, aha, there's a way of creating distance here. These things are not lifelines. And when we can model that one day a week or every, you know, every day we can take a few minutes and we can show our kids. I'll never forget when I told my kids, guys, I've come up with a new a new request. I'd like cell phones to go in the glove compartment the, mi- the minute we all get in the car. And I, I said to that. them, I just said to them, I don't want you guys driving with phones. And I went through a period where my phone would ring and I'd answer it. And I thought to myself, holy cow, I don't want my kids doing that. I can't just talk right? to them. Hey, I can't, I can't have a cigarette in my mouth and say, don't smoke. You know, <laughs> I got to put it. So then we all, we put them in the glove compartment. And they come in from <laughs> school a picnic up, he's going to be 17. I mean, he oh, doesn't need God, to listen to me. Oh my God. And That's so crazy. puts it in the glove compartment. So, you know, I mean, it's um, it's insidious because the kids are at school and everybody's on their phones and yeah. they're Snapchatting and they're it's yeah. frightening. So um, mm-hmm. when I hear my boys telling me some of the things other kids do, I know, I fear in my heart, I know that their parents are not aware of it. 
because Fair it's enough. things they're doing at things they're doing at home with their phone. Uh, it's things girls are doing at home with their phone in their bedrooms and things that boys are doing at home with their phones in their bedrooms or on technology. And you just know um, that that they have no supervision because their parents uh, either don't know that they're they that they're doing that or their parents are busy on technology. Or you figure mm. kids are quiet, so everything must be fine. But usually right. when kids are quiet, you know, they're watching something. You have to know what they're watching. Um, and to replace that a little bit with, you know, read reading, because the brain is born, you know, it is designed for certain ways of learning. And um, it's incredible how technology is changing the structure and the shape of the brain. We don't want our kids to grow up lacking empathy, and yet there's been a 40% decline in empathy over the last 30 years in college students um, using the phone we can probably say with some uh, confidence, does not really light up the front of the brain, which is where higher problem-solving creativity and empathy live. It kind of lights up the midbrain, which is limbic, which is more reward, more hedonistic, more me-me. Um, so I, just, I think it's good to, in some moderation, you know, share some information with kids, but not in a lecture, more in a, isn't it amazing that... And kids will watch what we do, not what we say, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, they can only become who we are. And um, that's the heavy part. And exceed who we are. Yeah. And go beyond. Well, yeah, the heavy part is that's true. And then the hope is that they can exceed. And that's the thing I've always told my daughter is I, I just want you to do better than I've done. And I'm hoping that I did a little better than my parents. And I know they did better than their parents. So, that's all we can yeah. hope for. And and that's the thing. I opened my show with parent, being a parent's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. <laughs> this is a tall order. This yeah. Big, yeah. And I, I tend to think of it as a, you know, it's a journey. It's, um, what you know, we're, we have this incredible opportunity to be raised by our children by raising our awareness. Just like Ava said, mm-hmm. Mom, do you think when we're in the car we could talk and be without the phone? She, in that moment, she was holding up a mirror. I mean, in what yeah. other circumstance? Would you be able to have that happen? Um, a friend wouldn't say anything. Neither would a partner. That's true. But a child, a child right. whose whose sense of wonder and need for connection is so, uh, you know, important for her very thriving, not just for her survival. But you know, I think it's important to know for people that um, the more we become technologically dependent and savvy, uh, which is in some senses fantastic, and in some senses you know, we need to be informed. I think it's important to have a have a tech, if we're going to have a tech habit, we need to have a mindfulness practice. So the two mm. have to go together. So we can be mindfully technologically dependent. We can have a mindful tech habit. And, and when we're mindful, we're not addicted. When we're mindful, mm. we can become unaddicted. And when we're mindful, we can recognize what the cue is so that we know the, what the response is for us. So, you know, one of the amazing new findings about the brain in the last few years is that it can change. You know, for hundreds yeah. of years, ne- neuroscientists didn't know that. So when you focus your awareness, focus your attention, that's the beginning of changing your brain, your brain patterns. So if you focus your attention on technology, I'm going to put out this 
post or I'm going to put out this email and I'm going to get these responses and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to get those responses. And if that's the only way that we focus our attention Mm. with it, then we're going to strengthen those pathways and make them 3,000 times faster. But if we can focus our attention in other ways and say, you know what, for the first 10 minutes of my day when I'm still in bed, I'm going to practice a presence exercise before I even check my email. I'm going to I'm going to by the way I'm going to keep my phone on airplane mode while I sleep so that it can be used as an alarm clock but it's not sending signals all night to my brain which needs to be mm. deep 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 in sleep so that it can flush the toxins like a dishwasher overnight which is a new finding about sleep. So in the morning we can all practice something called 555 and it's a, it's a presence exercise I do with all of my the people that I do workshops with all over the place. I've done this with teens, women of all ages, men, um, 555. So if you're lying in bed in the morning and you're just getting up, you know, you and your eyes are still closed, you just listen for five sounds in the room. Hmm. And then when you listen for five sounds, then you... See if you can notice five sensations in your body. And then when you have noticed five different sensations in your body, like a could be an itch on your knee, it could be your left thumb is numb, it could be anything, mm-hmm. then you open your eyes slowly and you look at five objects in your room. And then when you've done that, you can just take a deep breath or you can focus on your breathing for a moment or you can take a deep breath in Notice the peak at the top and then let it all out and do it again and let it all out. And what you will have done in that two minutes, 120 seconds, is you will have practiced presence. Because when you're in that state, you're not worried about anything else. You're not thinking about your day. You're not worried about what happened yesterday. You're completely in the moment. But what's more is you're tuned inward to your body. And so you're connected. So when you put your feet on the ground, you're there. And mm. any time of day where you start to feel like you're floating, dissociated, you do that again. Parking lot, wherever you are, traffic, you know, you can do your five 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 and in a way that's safe. You can do it at, you can do it in the middle of a crazy day. You can do it as you're boarding an airplane. You can do it anywhere. And um, I've had women tell me that 555 alone has completely changed their way of operating in the world because they were walking around like a head with no body. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's these are simple things that are free. And I think sometimes people think, oh, God, mindfulness, one more thing to do? <laughs> no, nah, it's not. It's not. It's just, it's actually one more thing not to do. Ah, One more thing not to do. I like that. One more thing not to do. Because you're not doing mindfulness. You're just being mindful. And instead of, it's an instead of. It's I'll check my email after this 120 seconds. You know, we have no problem telling our kids, just a minute. Right? Just a minute. I'm busy. Just a minute. Give me two minutes. So, yeah, give me two minutes, right? So we don't have to wait till we're in the bathroom. We can just do it while we're lying in our bed or while you're washing parsley or smell the parsley, you know, before you go to bed at night. And and when you get up in the morning, we should all know it's the most stressful time of day because that's the highest cortisol. You're ready to get going. So your cortisol is the highest. 
So if you compound your day with everything else that causes you stress, you have no relief from that stress. And when you're living in chronic stress, you are now opening yourself up to illness, to you know, unhappiness, to high negativity, um, all kinds of issues with you know, relationships, well-being, etc. So it, it becomes a very lovely, compassionate domino effect. You start your day... 120 seconds of noticing and then all of a sudden you start noticing other things then you're driving in your car and you're at a light and you go god look at that tree oh look at the red leaves ava look at that nick look oh my gosh and and you don't think oh i'll take a picture of it and i'll post it you'll go like not i just took a picture of it in my head it's beautiful and and it's just tiny little things like that they return us to our core they return us I call it return to tender. They return us to that tender default setting so that we so we have a reference point for it, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's nothing complicated. It's really honestly that moment that we go, God, I want to feel fully alive and I want my kids to know what that feels like too so that you know, they can use technology mindfully. Uh, oh, my goodness. Once again... Every single time I ever spend time with you, I have a, a new like neural pathway opened in my brain. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much You're for this. We'll have to have you back on again. It's been too long, Lou. Thank you so much for your time and the work that you do. You're amazing. And uh, I can't wait to share. I want to like listen to this program with Ava. And she'll listen to it with me with very uh, minimal eyeball rolls. It'll be fun. <laughs> well, just yeah, absolutely. And and just one one thing I absolutely love about kids, especially, you know, really bright, curious um kids like Ava, um is they're always noticing and their powers of observation are so fully alive right now and and to preserve that in our kids is honestly to me that is the hope for the future because as long as we have a generation that is fully alive and awake and observant um, you know, that what a wonderful world they are going to try to create and correct. So, you know, we can start with some such simple things in our own homes, but it isn't to correct be- our behavior. It's to improve our well-being. You know, I never give advice. I never, I, I just don't ascribe to all that. Here, 10 tips for taming the defiant toddler. I just don't think <laughs> like that. Uh, that's not my bent. I'm not into scripting parents. I think parents are too dependent on scripts because a society has told them that there's a right way to parent. There's no right way to parent. And because no one has your children. You know, Ava would be different if she was my daughter. And Nick would be different if he was your son. And that gives us pause because you realize that it's the relationship that is the vessel for the learning. So... Everything we do in relationship, even our beautiful mistakes, are golden. You know, that is how we sort of toggle this little boat along. This is how we beautiful. this is how we make relationship is we, we do it in this wonderfully confusing, messy way and we and we don't hold back on showing our flaws to our kids because we tell them, Listen, how else would I teach you forgiveness? Right. <laughs> how else would I teach you humility? You know, I'm I'm imperfect, and I'm and that's just the way it's got to be. And thank thank God we have each other because you just held up a mirror to me, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't 
there's some practices that I've been doing that actually don't make me feel very good, and thanks for noticing. Mm. Also, Rich, thank you so much. Thank you, Lou. You're welcome. We're out of time. I've got 15 seconds left, so I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. I will be uh, letting you know that we are still accepting donations at uh, ProgressiveParentingRadio.com. And you can come and see me in person. I'll be in Portland, Oregon on November 14th. It's going to be at a Flakya. A Flakya is a mini birth conference, and it's open to midwives, doulas, hopeful doulas, birth nerds, and parents. And I am also, oh my goodness, I haven't even told you guys yet, I'm going to be doing a, a an advanced doula training with none other than Wapio. If you have taken my workshop in the last five years, then you know that I just think that woman is amazing. And we are going to be doing an advanced doula training together. And um, it's the, the, the location is um, kind of up in the air. We're looking at Toronto. I'm sorry, at Vancouver, San Diego, and Houston. And so it's kind of like up to you doulas to tell us where you want us to go. And let me know what's going on. I hope to see you guys soon. I hope to see you in Portland or I hope to see you anywhere. And until then, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. If I ever do anything right, I want to be. So good to this little light. If I ever wake in the night, I wanna know I tried my best for this little light. Both my